0: We're actually going to share in two scripture readings this morning, the first from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll share in the gospel passage from John chapter 3. But before I turn to those, just a question or two. Have you ever had the experience of encountering something you were ill prepared for? I am sure this has happened to all of us. At one time or another. And unfortunately, I think in times like this, we think to difficulties or tragedies that we weren't ready for. But this, this is not just about a tragedy or a difficulty. Um, it is about the realization that there are many times in life and in Scripture where things come upon us that we're not quite ready for. And this morning, we, we have two Scripture readings where at least one of the characters in the passage is not ready for what it is that God is doing with them, or to them, or through them, and for them. And so in both both cases we see that that these individuals, Abram and Nicodemus, are ill-prepared for what God was doing. And I guess ultimately that makes them a lot like us sometimes doesn't it? Let's consider that and consider the Lord's work, how the Lord works, as we turn first to the first book of Scripture, the book of Genesis, and we read chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing i will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you i will curse and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed so abram went as the lord had told him and he took and lot went with him and abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And now to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do, apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus says to him, now, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? It comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus again says to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, You are a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has descended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On his ESPN show... uh, Scott Van Pelt has a segment called One Big Thing. The, the One Big Thing is a, a story or a problem or an issue that may not have been the, the lead headline for the day, but it's one big thing that mattered and needed to be attended to, in the very least, by those listening to and watching his show. When it comes to Scripture, I suppose you could classify these two passages, maybe, as, as, as the one big thing. At least one big thing from the Old Testament, and one pretty big thing from the New Testament. Because it would be really easy to make the case that, that today, these passages provide the seeds for everything else that matters in the Testaments where we find them. These passages provide the seeds for all that matters in the history of God's people in in the Old Testament. And they tell us the story of the Gospel in the New Testament. And one of the things I find most interesting, I've already tipped my hand towards, as we look at them today, is that the characters in these passages They receive this news, but they're not ready to receive it when it is thrust upon them. Even though, even though in receiving it, they encounter something which is a gateway to an entirely new way of experiencing life and faith. And they are the ones through whom God opens something up for for many, many people, all people. Really, who would follow them? Now, when you look to the book of, of Genesis, when you look back to Genesis, we have to, we have to concede one thing. There wasn't somebody sitting there writing it down as it all happened. They had to write their story down later. And when they went back and wrote the story down about what had happened that had gotten them to this point, the, the big story of God's people, begins with Abram here in chapter 12. Now, I know that there's 11 chapters that happen before we meet Abram or Abraham, but it is Abram who is the father of all people. Father Abraham had many sons, not Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel didn't have many sons. Noah didn't have many sons, and many sons did Noah have, right? It's, it's Father Abraham who is the father of all of the people. And so in chapter 12, this call of, of Abraham be, becomes recorded. And it becomes a formative statement that guides God's people for like the rest of the Old Testament. For the, the people of Israel, for, for all of known time, even Jews today. Abraham is the the father of the nations. Through Abraham, God is going to make everyone great. God is going to bless the world through Abraham. If you flip back a chapter, chapter 11 of Genesis begins with the Tower of Babel, which was another ill-fated attempt to try to get close to God. And it's just kind of the last one of a bunch of fits and starts that that are these chapters between 1 and 12 in the book of Genesis. Now, it's not an overstatement to say that there's a lot of tough reading in the Old Testament. For those of you who have read all the way through it, you know it's a tough, it's a tough, it's tough to get through. And, and chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis are kind of difficult to get through as well, if we're really honest with ourselves. I mean, chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 are, are, are really, they're, they're beautiful, and they're significant as we learn about the fact that God creates by, by speaking things into being. We worship a God who speaks creation into being. Chapter 2, we we see a God who intimately works things into being. But then, by chapter 3, the soaring priestly writings of chapter 1 are gone, and the intimacy of chapter 2 is gone, as the the pragmatist, the, the Yahwehist, describes the fall of Adam and Eve as the fall of all humanity. Well, and then, again, we've got these... These downers of stories like Cain and Abel. And the reason that we have a rainbow, right? We kind of skip over that part when we read the Noah story to our kids, don't we? And so you get to chapter 12, and and Abram is a marked shift in the narrative. It kind of comes out of nowhere, because chapter 11 ends with this, and then there was... Terah and his son was Abraham and then there's some dates about how old everybody was and then all of a sudden you turn the page and God says I'm calling you Abraham I'm calling you Abram and you are, you are going to be a blessing of all people so get up from where you are now and go to where I show you and if you remember how the story goes it isn't until the end of Exodus some hundred chapters later in Scripture, that God's people actually get to where it is God was taking them. And there's something about this I really like. It could be because I've lived in a lot of different places in my life personally. It, it, it could be that I like that God says, through you all of the world will be blessed. But I think all of us can like the fact that that God is starting a whole new covenant with his creation. A really, really big thing is happening here between God and his people. And it starts with a regular person who the world didn't know as popular or famous. No one had heard of, and he wasn't prepared for it at all. Yet he rose to the occasion. He followed faithfully. Abram became Abraham and became not just the father of one, but the father of many. And I think I take comfort in this. I think we all can take comfort in this. Because like all of us, sometimes we don't know exactly what it is that God has called us to in the end but we get this gnawing sense that I've got to get up and do something. God is calling me to move forward at this moment, and I'm not prepared for what it is that God wants me to do. But if we step forward again and again and again, what, what we often see looking back is that God carried us through just like God carried Abram through. Now when we turn to the Gospel of John, we see a similar thing, but it's not in looking at Jesus where we see the similarity. It's actually in looking at this character, Nicodemus. Now throughout the Gospels, and even in this passage, to a certain extent, there's there's, there's undertones, to put it lightly, undertones of the fact that That the enemy of Jesus is, it's not the non-religious. It's not the people who don't care about religion. It's actually the religious leaders who are Jesus' enemy that he's pushing back against. It's those Pharisees and those Sadducees, those scribes and those keepers of the law that that these Gospels push up against. And the reason for this, in large part, is because those folks, those Pharisees and Sadducees, they found that they, they believed that it was in their best interest, personally, to keep things as much the same and as much locked down as they could. These, these particular groups had, had worked their way up through the ranks of power by either work and currying favors or, or mostly by birth. And the easiest and most effective way for them to keep their social status was to stay under the radar of Rome and not let any scuffles start up. And to keep the people tamped down religiously so that they could be the ones that were in control. In that way, the people were subject to strict laws, the laws of the temple, and the power structure itself was allowed to stay in power. And this worked for them until this rebellious guy, Jesus, shows up. Now Nicodemus is one of these Pharisees. We, we see it at the outset. Nicodemus was a leader of the Jews. But, but I like to think of Nicodemus as a little bit different. Yes, he was powerful. And he did have influence, but, but I don't know that Nicodemus was one of, of the worst bad guys. In many ways, he might have been a good guy. He's, he seems to be one of the thoughtful religious leaders who, who, who sees that, that something's happening. He, he sees that there are signs that reveal that God is doing something. He's interested and he's thoughtful. And Nicodemus is curious and careful. And that's why he comes to Jesus at night. Did you notice that? The other Pharisees came to Jesus during the day. They brought him situations to entrap him. He always found a way out. But Nicodemus comes at night. I come in peace. Maybe he says comes privately to, to seek information rather than publicly to try to one-up Jesus. And if we just read the parts of the story that Nicodemus sort of speaks, we get the sense that he's really trying to understand. He says, Jesus, a Rabbi, he says, I'm sorry, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. Because no one can do these things outside of the presence of God. Jesus responds, and he says again, but, but, I, but how can anybody be born again who has grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? I mean, maybe he was being sarcastic, but I don't think sarcasm and cynicism were, uh, they, didn't, they didn't have the role that satire does in our culture these days. And so Jesus speaks again, and Nicodemus simply says, how can this be? But at each point in the narrative, Nicodemus asks a how question. A how question, which maybe implies that he understands the what and the why. Who, what Jesus was. Jesus was the Savior of the world. And why? Because what we had going on wasn't working. But how was God going to do this? Through this rabbi? He understood Jesus was from the Father. and He understood the need for the salvation of the world. But given everything he had known and learned in his life, what God was doing in, in Jesus was amazing to him. And he didn't understand how it could be. Which brings us to an important realization that Nicodemus was not prepared for what it was that God was doing. He was the most prepared. He was born into the right family. He had been trained in the right ways. He was the most educated among the educated he was a legitimately diligent keeper of the law by, by all, all, all indications. This is who he was, yet this guy is not prepared for, what God, prepared for what God was initially doing. It took him time to understand. It took being faithful in order for him to see things unfold. And it took a level of devotion and and connection and curiosity to understand what it means to be born again of water and the Spirit and why that's important. And in Nicodemus, we again see how it is that God works. There's a call, there's an instruction, there's a new covenant that comes that, that we don't quite understand. But the demand is that we be faithful. The call is not one to the end of the line, but to a process that will get us there. The the call is to step one step forward and see what lies ahead for today. It's not to solve next week's problems today. And this is how faith works, isn't it? This is how God works, right? Right? And this is how we live into the new covenant and relationship and love that God has for us. We just step forward today. So Nicodemus is a good guy with with all the qualifications in the world. And when he faces the Lord, he doesn't fully understand what God is doing. And we have a choice to allow that either to discourage us or to give us hope. And I would like to see us choose hope because these stories, if you haven't been able to tell already, are are, our stories, aren't they? These interactions, they happen with these famous people from Scripture, but they are paradigmatic for what we experience as well. Because Abram was just a regular guy who was called by God to be the father of all people, you know, a little thing. It wasn't something he was groomed for or prepared for or necessarily equipped for. But it was because though unprepared, he was willing to follow God that a new kind of covenant happened. And the same thing is true for Nicodemus. He was curious and and thoughtful and, and maybe he was more concerned with what God was doing maybe than keeping his own social status. And so he doesn't ask why or what. He asks, how can this be? How will you do this? Which reflects a willingness of sorts. Do we want to know what God is going to do with us? I think we do. Do we want to know how God is going to use us? I'm sure we do. Are we ready for ways... that God might use us, that we may not choose for ourselves, that we probably don't expect. And are we ready for God to do things if left to our own devices we probably would not do? Yet, in doing those things, we'll be led to a meaningful life? I, I hope we are. Because as we flip through all of the other pages of Scripture... God rarely comes when we think we're ready. And Abraham was unlikely, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee of all things. And it's to a Pharisee that Jesus reveals the summation of the gospel. The one that that guy put on a poster board and held behind the field goal in the 80s. It's to a Pharisee, not his, not his disciples in the upper room, not on the Sermon of the Mount. It's to a Pharisee that he delivers John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And these stories push the story to us. Because if God will use these individuals this way, God will use us as well. If God has been calling unlikely people from the very beginning, then maybe we need to see that we're kind of unlikely as well. And when God is calling me to do something that seems out of the ordinary and unlikely, maybe following at least the first step is is the best way to explore and express our faithfulness. And it's the best way to figure out if God is and how God is really with us. Therefore, this morning, we see two familiar passages. Abram called from nowhere, and Nicodemus fully qualified but totally unprepared for what God was about to do. And in them we can take comfort. Because God does amazing things to and for and through even us. But those things begin often in ways we don't understand or we wouldn't have planned for ourselves. So listen. And if you sense the call of God, but you're not sure how God's going to do it, then realize you're in good company. Listen and and discern how God is ready to use you and then step up. Seek the Lord. Respond to His call. Not by figuring out where the finish line is. But simply by taking the first step. That's how new covenants begin. And that's how God works in us best. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we come to you this morning seeking, oh, seeking so many things. But we, we seek the assurance that you are with us. We seek the confirmation that you are calling us. And we seek the courage to step forward, not knowing how it is we're going to do what it is you're calling us to. But Lord, today, help us to be thankful that you do call us. Help us to be thankful that you have called us. Help us to be thankful that in each of us you are bringing about new life and joy and a a new covenant that shares your love and your grace and your hope with all of the world because you gave your only begotten Son. Lord, grant us wisdom to hear your call and courage to step forward no matter what it is, no matter how ill-prepared we might feel. This, O oh Lord, is our prayer in this moment, and it is our prayer for this day, and it is in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.